Hi, welcome to the Food in the Edge podcast, and I'm your host, JP McMahon. Hi, you're all very welcome to the Food in the Edge podcast. Today, I'm talking to Shannon Martinez, who's way down in uh, Melbourne. How are you, Shannon? I'm good. How are you? Long time no speak and see. I know, I know. It must be, God, is it two, maybe two years? I'm not too sure. When it, was it 20, 2018, 2019? You were here, you were over with us? Yeah, I was going to say, the two or three years. God. I know. I, I suppose Instagram makes it feel like I see you more often. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, there's some serious shit that's been going on since we last, you know, saw each other. So it might have even been three years. Who knows? 100%. I mean, and, and in spite of everything, I know you, you've been going through stuff as well, but I suppose how has the last, I suppose, year been for you with, with, with COVID and everything else you've been you going on? Well, probably pretty similar to everyone else, I would imagine. I mean, you know, we've all gone through the shit. Uh, luckily for me, uh, I've got two businesses um, and the restaurant went down to about 80%. Uh, yeah, reduce you know reduce sales by about eighty percent. But the deli was deemed an essential service as it's kind of a food store, you know, and there's no seating yeah. inside. So that got to keep running. So I, thankfully, that was enough to kind of keep the other one floating. Okay. So we're pretty fortunate in that in that respect. And did you um have you have you uh, reopened now in Melbourne? Or sometimes it's hard to know. I know the stuff happening in Sydney, but I wasn't too sure if everything has kind of gone back to normal or, or as normal as it can be. Yeah, we we were in Sydney's position, um, you know, about two months ago. So we reopened, we got back to almost full capacity and back to normal, and then we got smashed again. So. Um, you know, that always kind of breaks you a little bit. You think you're finally back and then bam, yeah. you just back to where you started again. And, and then you've got that annoying climb back out where you go back to the four square meter rule, then the two square meter rule and all that. So it's a bit draining, but, you know, we're, we're, we're getting back out of it again. Today I went out to the Victoria markets and they had a truffle festival on there and it was really awesome to see people back out again. So that was refreshing. And because uh, we're still up and down like a yo-yo because we we haven't even opened uh, dining yet indoors and there's still, it was supposed to be the 19th, but now it's, uh, sorry, it was supposed to be the 5th of July and then we were all getting ready and geared up and then they kind of pulled the plug the week before. And now it's, um, yeah, now it's, it's hopefully, they said at the latest, the 26th, but they're, I don't know if they did this in in, um, in Australia, they did it in, in Denmark, where you can only eat inside if you've been vaccinated. Oh, God, no, that, we haven't done that yet, but, wait, have you not opened at all? We Well, over the course of the last year and a half, we have been open three times for approximately, like the longest would have been eight weeks and then we opened at Christmas, but it was a it, it was a disaster because this variant came over from from the UK. So we opened for three weeks or something and the cases went crazy. Like I, I think oh, I, wow. in January we had, oh, I don't know, we I think we nearly hit 10,000 cases a day, which we, was only four million people in Ireland. So Fuck uh, hell. yeah, so it was we haven't we haven't opened since since December, since the end of uh since the end of December. So now we've been ticking over in with Cal and Tartar and with takeaway. So it hasn't been yep. too too bad. An ear has been has been closed. But 
the hardest thing was, I think, January, February, March, where we're, where nothing was open, everyone was indoors, and it was just effectively like, don't go outside your house. Oh, babe, I'm so sorry. That is um, way worse than what we've had. I mean, obviously, the cases down here have been nothing compared to other parts of the world. And I mean, we've taken some pretty drastic action considering the numbers that we've had, because I guess. You have, you, like last year, I, I, I distinctly remember, or maybe it was just Sydney, or I thought it was Melbourne because I saw Ben talking about, you had a, like a full-on lockdown for 100 days or something, didn't you? Oh, yeah, ours was huge. It was really, really intense. And we also... Like, not just a lockdown, but then they enforced a five-kilometre radius rule as well, where you actually we, weren't allowed to travel with, and you know, outside of five k's from your house. We had two. <laughs> we had two for a while, and then it went up to five, and honestly, I felt like I, I, I'd been freed. Because two was... <laughs> two was <laughs> Fuck, it's crazy, hey? That was like, with the deli, like I said to you, you know, we were okay because the deli um, was deemed essential, but... We were doing all right until that 5K rule came in. Uh, and then, and then that's, were that's, You see, you could travel for food in Ireland, but then people got really afraid if the cops were going to stop them. And it was kind of, it was a little bit, uh, there was a bit of confusion because you, you were, because in rural Ireland, and I'm sure there's parts of rural, rural Australia, you were allowed to break that rule for food. But then, yes. like, breaking it for takeaway and deli or breaking it for a supermarket was like two i know two guys were like i don't know if they were arrested but they were fine going for 100k for burgers um <laughs> i think i read um i know we had someone like that someone went interstate for a burger here <laughs> yeah and then the, i actually know the girl doing the burgers and she said listen i'll send them to you if you want but i think i think they just needed to get out of the house um yeah i mean i i, I get it you know and and uh, we were allowed to leave for food, but that had to be within five kilometres. I guess it would be would have been different if you're rural and there wasn't anything within five kilometres. But you know, for the for us that were in the city and more suburban areas, like yeah, five k's was it. Uh, so yeah, it's up down Sydney now is in lockdown and the cases there are growing pretty much every day. They're getting worse. So this is going to be the longest lockdown that they're going yeah, to have. How, I mean, you still can't fly easily into into Australia, no? Like, I mean, you as think- far as I know, I had one friend go over. I think she went home. But I mean, it's it's a, it's a serious quarantine measure and all that. So the the fact that the cases are rising, I just uh, do they know where it's coming from? Um, they're saying it's all close contact, so families and stuff. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but all you have to do is watch people's Instagram stories to see that yeah. they're not uh, following the rules. And you do, know, you, fa- do you have people- the same issue? I'm sure you do, because maybe it's a distinctly Irish, British, Australian, where we have a load of people who just don't even believe in the thing. And, oh, yeah, there's plenty of them, for sure. Especially and now actually, some are quite close to me. Again, I won't name names, but like they're yeah. very, very close. And it's almost like a civil war. It's it's crazy. Yeah. It's like I can't even talk to some people anymore because the only thing they want to talk about is, you know, this isn't real. And I go, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. I'm just oh, like... Oh, I know. I'm, it drives me insane. I know. And I know it's frustrating, you know, at this point where it's just constant. But denying the truth isn't going to help anyone, is it? Yeah, and I've known people who like who have never cared about a disease or a vaccine yeah. in the history of humanity. And I'm like going, yeah, well, what about like AIDS or TB or like, did oh, you really? care about them? No, no, no. Do you know about them? No. And so why yeah. are you so hooked up on that? Are people whose they children are vaccinated? And I was like, what, what's the issue with this one? And they're like, no, no, yeah. I just don't trust it. And I was like, in what capacity? But I it's think just- it's because the internet didn't exist before. 
Yeah, no, it's completely illogical. It's so yeah. illogical and it's just for every story I have, they have a, a another story that's going to tell them that something, yeah, exactly, something that they watched on the internet. and uh, Yeah, because YouTube's telling them what, you know, what, what to think. And, and, I mean, if you go out looking for the answers that you want to hear, you're going to find them. Yeah, no matter what I, I always are. think if it takes too much effort to believe in it, it's not true. They're like, yeah. you do know this, this like massive system, and I was like, that sounds like way too much effort. I'm not, I'm not just yeah. not. Going there. Like they're, they're taking over, and they're, and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like okay. if, if they drive at my door, I'll believe it. But looking, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, look, in, in spite of I, I, we always have to. We're doing these podcasts for the last year or so, and we always have to start with COVID. And it's unfortunate because there's so many more, there's so much more interesting things. But I wanted to talk to you about, I suppose, your food philosophy and your food outlook. And I just wanted to take it back and, like, at what point in in time? I mean, now you're kind of like, I, I suppose, the you're you're. You're referred to as the poster girl, which is uh well, I mean you have you've got a great image, so I suppose it's good to be a poster girl when you look when you when you've got a great image. But uh I couldn't be a poster boy. Oh, too, I think <laughs> I'm too uh, too hairy and a bit overweight to be a poster boy. But um the, but like at what point <laughs> hey, did, you know, did, Yeah. Some people love that, babes. I know, I know, I know. A cuddly bear, a cuddly bear. That's it, uh, that's it. You nailed it. <laughs> uh, but at what point did like did did uh, plant based stuff come into your life or, or veganism or was it a, a rev- revelation or was it a subtle thing that happened over years? Um, so it was early two thousands. I was actually um I, I was a pub chef and. Uh, it, it basically came about because I started getting asked for it quite often. And, you know, back in maybe 2004 or so, uh, vegan food was still pretty niche. Uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't really see it around very often. And even, even for me, you didn't, you didn't learn about it in school. Like, you definitely had vegetarian cooking, but vegan wasn't really something that was in your regular restaurant and definitely not in the bloody pub. Uh, I, I, mean, I still you, think now, I mean, I think Australia are probably, or you guys or you are probably, that there is, I think there is a vegan restaurant in Ireland now. There might be two of them. I mean, there's, there's plenty of vegetarian ones. Uh, yeah. but, but I think, like, I think we've yet to experience like full on vegan. And when I might say full on vegan, I mean like the kind of food you're doing, not like, yeah. not just like we remove the meat from everything. Therefore, it's, uh, it's, it's, vegan, it's, yeah. it's a vegan Take restaurant. out all the good stuff and then just leave it with the base. Yeah. It's, um, and that's what the vegan food was like here back then, I guess, you know, and a lot of the restaurants that were here, I mean, there's a, re- there's a restaurant on the same street as Smith and Daughters called Veggie Bar and that's been around forever. Uh, and that's kind of like an institution. But besides that, the other restaurants were more, you know, Hare Krishna restaurants. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of Chinese restaurants that specialized in doing all the mock meats as well, but that was pretty much it. So I decided just to sort of um, make my life easier more than anything at the time and just put a couple of things on the menu that were vegan to see how it would go. And in my mind, not really knowing anything about vegan food or vegans and what they liked, I figured surely they just want to eat the same sort of stuff as the rest of us. So I just made vegan versions of what I already had on the menu. And it was a super traditional Aussie pubs. I'm talking Palmer's, burgers, fish and chips, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, standard stuff. So I just did vegan Palmer. And that was the thing that just set it off really, which is funny because it's such a basic dish, but that is what that's what it was. So that went from, you know, doing a couple a night to uh, 
selling a couple hundred a night. And that was when I realized there was this massive demographic that wasn't being looked after. And when you think about, you know, really our job at the end of the day is to serve people and to make people happy and create beautiful dining experiences. And vegans were totally missing out on that. I mean, and I thought it was working there shit. at the moment, at, at this moment. You, you, this wasn't your business or, or at, this, at this No, stage. I was just working at the pub. Yeah. And did they give yes. you, they just said, listen, go for it. Or, uh, uh, yeah, they didn't tell me anything. Um, I, I don't remember the last time I actually had a boss that told me what to do, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you know? look like the type of girl that, uh, or woman that, like that, that, uh, that takes instruction. I think you do, you look like the person who just kind of makes it up as you go along yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> the only person that can tell me what to do is my mum. Okay, that's fair. My, that's fair enough. Me too. Me too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you know, I just, I, I, I'm also one of the things I am good at. I will admit is being able to read a room or read or understand what what's needed and just do it. You know, and I don't have ego behind my cooking. Um, so I cook what I know people are going to really want, and I take suggestions from customers as well because I am here for them. You know, yeah. um, and so I, I decided that. I was going to create a space, which is, you know, and this is when I ended up doing Smith and Daughters, that was going to uh, provide a proper dining experience because there was nowhere where you could get good vegan food and a beautiful wine list and beautiful cocktails and a fully curated dining experience. It just didn't exist. And so that's well, that was the aim. And that's when Smith and Daughters, um, you know, came to be uh, to, to fill that gap. And since then now in Australia, we've got, we've got a shitload of vegan restaurants. You know, you've got... Um, and, and even one you had a restaurants in Sydney, you got Yellow up in Sydney. They do some incredible vegan food up there. Uh, so we've come a really long way in the space of like, well, I guess it's kind of been a long time now. Hey, it's 2022. Yeah, it's yeah. not even 20 years. Jesus. When, when uh, did I've you, only been doing when did you uh, uh, your, your own restaurant? Uh, Smith & Daughters opened nearly eight years ago. So she's been, she's been there for a while, uh, but I've been doing, so yeah, cooking vegan since 2004. I've been cooking since 96, but I've been cooking vegan food since about 2004. Then um, the East Brunswick Club, then we turned in, uh, uh, then we moved to the Gasometer. That was another pub. Then I opened a food truck called Soul Food, which was um, my, um, a South Soul Food, which was my first little vegan venture just to sort of test the waters. Yeah. Uh, and that was a thing called the People's Market, which was a big market put into an empty car lot. And that just popped off. And that was really me building the confidence to know that I could have a business that was fully vegan on its own. Because originally I wasn't sure whether I'd have to do vego and vegan. I wasn't sure if I could sustain a vegan business. But yeah. that little food truck thing proved me wrong, which I'm very happy about. And and I've just gone from it, you know, from there I mean, ever so since. So Smith and Daughters now just completely vegan? Like there's no dairy Always has been. Always oh, has been. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. daughter was that, in the was deli. It, yeah, was that yeah, difficult? To be, was that difficult at the beginning? I mean, I was a vegetarian for seven years, and it's. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's not something. I suppose I don't see them as opposition. I know I generally when you talk to people, veganism, fish eating, meat eating, vegetarian is always quite oppositional in terms of people yeah. thinking. And I suppose I, I don't really see them as opposition. I mean, we have loads of vegetarian and vegan dishes on the menu in, in both mm -hmm. our restaurants, and we do a vegan tasting menu in in in, uh, in a near, which is actually quite hard when you're when you're only using Irish stuff and you don't want to repeat yourself and you don't want to do all that kind of crack but we've done it and it's been it's actually we've learned from it as well um, but how awesome this is what i mean by vegan food and how far it's come like for you to be doing that in your restaurant that would never have happened like 10 years ago do you know like like the the 
how fast it's moved forward. Like out of all the, you know, everything that's going on with food right now, nothing's moving as fast as vegan veganism in terms of, of, of the, tr- in, it's not even a trend, but restaurants that you never would have thought would have done vegan food are now doing these incredible tasting menus, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Michelin star restaurants, you know, like just like yourself, like it would come so far, which is really awesome, I think. Really I think awesome. People are finally really, taking it seriously. It's really important for us because it's like, it's. I think if you're going to take food seriously, you've got to take it serious in all aspects. And and and, and and if we're going to say, I know there's restaurants that say, okay, look, we don't do vegetarian or veganism when they have a tasting menu. And I think, okay, fair enough in some context, if you're a fish restaurant on a remote island. But other than that... Yeah. There is. There's not really an excuse, is there? No. Ways, you know. I mean, I think the like for me, some of the most exciting parts of the day for us is actually what vegetables are in season because everyone's yeah. bit, when you once you get in underneath the kind of the seasons and whatever people see them as, it, there's mm. actually so much more going on. I mean, like we have we haven't even had a broad bean, and it's July in Ireland, but if you go into the wow. supermarket, you can't see that. Like you, when you go yep. to the supermarket, it's like everything is 24-7. So you can get your strawberries, you can get your avocados. But like for me, the challenge, and this is only in an ear in, 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 and, and to tartar to, 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 to a certain degree, because like, in Cava, it's Spanish. So we kind of, we, we, we don't restrict ourselves as much. But for me, yep. it's really interesting to know, like, look, we, there is no Irish broad beans around at the moment. Because if you go to the supermarket, you go, I had this loads. And you go, no, they're from France or Italy or Spain. or Exactly. And, Avocados are from Mexico or whatever. It is quite quite hard. And I think that's when you realise what... When you realise what you can't do, I think you, you realise that that you that uh, what's going on in the country. And I do think that we... Like, we don't have enough vegetable growers in Ireland. We don't have enough because they're not subsidised. Every, everything goes towards, um, I suppose, the industrial fish and meat and... Uh, yeah, meat and, and dairy. Pork. And all that, and yeah. and it, it's not to say that that uh, that I'm against uh, that per se. I'm just against the volume of it. Uh, Correct. Because, yeah, agreed. Like when we don't have, like when you literally don't have enough broccoli in Ireland, and you got to get it all from Spain because it's just not worth growing. I think for me, that's the problem. That's when when you talk to a vegetable grower and they say, Do "You know what? I just couldn't. I couldn't. I I couldn't because a you can't compete, or b they're on such a tight schedule in the supermarket that if you miss a week, they don't want your crop." Um, and you're saying it's not worth growing because the the customer base is not there, or no, like the customer base is it? there. It's the money. It's the because it, it, unfortunately, being in the EU, uh, yeah. and and also, I mean, tra- I mean, vegetables in Ireland come from as far as by Chile, uh, Ecuador, Kenya. Mm-hmm. If I just if I just think of the last few times, it's it's because it's cheaper to bring a green bean from Kenya than it is to to grow it down the road, which is which isn't is that insane. And oh, they have, so but then and then they Kenyans have the same problem because it's mm-hmm. cheaper for them to get chicken from Europe than grow their own. Chi- so I think everyone is oh, in this wow. weird fucked up place where yep. we think we're doing grand and that's what I think COVID kind of shows us when everything when the transport networks start to shut down then you realise mm-hmm. fuck like we we always oh, oh, great we, we have we've got loads of beef and dairy in Ireland but when, uh, and that's when it. Uh, we'll all we'll all die of vitamin deficiency because yeah. we, have no, <laughs> we have no vegetables the country full of scurvy yeah, no. Well, listen, an orange and a lemon. There's a, there's a few people growing a few lemons around Ireland. Because, <laughs> it's a bit of citrus flying about. Because I've looked for them. 
And I I don't know if there's any Irish Irish oranges. If anyone's listening, they can tell me. But there's a few lemons in wall gardens and but we just yeah, we just don't have the well, A, we don't have the heat, and B, the infrastructure then to actually give someone to build different greenhouses or whatever is mm-hmm. uh isn't there. Started up. Yeah, there's a few people with glass houses growing like some great tomatoes and chilies and all that. So look, it's not to say that it's impossible. It's just that it really depends on small farmers and then they sell them in the market and then it's it it it's it's hard for them to break into the into the status quo. Yeah, and it, yeah, exactly because uh, you know, a farmers market is beautiful and as amazing as they are, it's not affordable and practical for everybody, is it? No, 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 not at all. And I was talking to oh, uh, Alberto Lancraft from Brazil last week, and he was saying the exact same thing, but it was in relation to chicken because we were talking mm-hmm. like Brazil owns about oh, just produces so much chicken, and then we realised that they actually own one of the biggest factories in Ireland that produces chicken is owned by this same Brazilian company. And yeah, I was like, right. How do you compete? How does a local <laughs> chicken farmer compete with that? You know, when you when his chicken is 20, 20 euro or something or 15 mm. euro and you get you get one from the from the Brazilian crowd for five. It's just it's it's uh, it's very hard to tackle that and then still talk about food equality and food sovereignty, Ex- especially now, especially now in these hard times for people, you know, and, and it's all very well and good to talk about. Um, all these beautiful products, you know, that we can use in our restaurants, but for the everyday person, it's just not always attainable. And and I love to think, you know, I, I can go to, there's a butcher here in Melbourne uh, called Meat Smith and, and everything is like, you're talking about, you know, and the chicken's like 50 bucks each, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, and, and, and the thinking for me behind that is for me, um, when you're paying so much for a product, you think about it so much more, you know, that that one chicken can turn into so much more because it's cost you so much purely on and nothing else but the fact that it's cost you 50 bucks as opposed to eight bucks, you know, from a supermarket. Where, you know, And they've made meat so cheap now that, that I mean, it grosses me out how cheap some of this stuff is, you know, chicken thighs for like 250 a kilo or something yeah, like yeah. it's horrific when you think that. It, People are making money off that and you're still just paying $2.50 a kilo. Um, and, and it's so cheap to a point where people don't even care about it because it's just as easy to throw it out because it hardly costs them anything, you know? And I hate that mentality too. But when you're paying for something like that, you tend to give it a lot more thought and turn and stretch it f- further. But a $50 chicken, you know, that, that's, that's hitting 1% of the population, you know, that, that can afford something like that. So, um yeah, it's it's not attainable. Really. I mean, yeah, so I, I like what whatever happens. I mean, happens, but I, it would be nice to get to a point where we start subsidising food or producers that are producing mm. more on quality as opposed to quantity, because the whole system is just built for quantity. I mean, the vast Correct. majority of it, the ninety percent of it, is just built yep. on. It doesn't really matter what something tastes like, as long as it has borderline nutrition and it's food. Well, then if it's going to be 250 grand chicken ties go for it and then yeah. and then I, I think as you said it just it takes away from the i think from the value of it and as people just just go look it, it doesn't have any value particularly when i don't know what happens in a, in, a, in australia but in the supermarkets sometimes here have like uh sales on vegetables where you can get a whole bunch of carrots for 49 cents and yeah. it's just like uh, that's cheap. They're just actually just offloading them, and I think it actually just just diminishes the fact that these are actually important. And then people that's go, well, you know what? Just it doesn't matter if we throw it out. It's just it's just a fucking bunch of carrots. That's what I mean by yeah. When it's that cheap, it just it just becomes it just becomes nothing. 
you know, there's there's um, I don't know, it's a weird one because you want everything to be affordable, but at the same time, it has to be appreciated for what it is. And and I just and think we need to turn, somehow turn. And I know the thing is, is it's it's what we're doing in in a small way in restaurants, but it's how it's how you can turn that round and possibly reach more people. Like, we, and maybe this is what you're doing in the deli. It's the same what we're doing in, in Tartar. It's got a similar idea to near, but it's reaching more people. And it's like, how do you reach more people and tell them like that? You gotta, I don't know. Like, I mean, you gotta put money into into food. But I can even see it in my daughters, and they're only nine and twelve, and they would mm. sooner spend. 70 euro on a, on a top than if you said do you want to buy a chicken for 50 euro they'd be like no hell no they'd be like yep. no uh, and and i just i don't know how we got into that mess or or maybe it's always been that way who who knows but it's it is a constant struggle and even when you're feeding people in schools it's even worse because then you've got a budget of a couple of euro a couple of dollars whatever it is and you've got to feed a child for this and it's it, do you it have that in, in ireland same as the do you feed kids at school it, it only in it, it, it only in very uh, we don't have like a national system in ireland the, the uk mm-hmm. have a national system and the states have yeah. one but uh, it's just, it's so low. Mm-hmm. And then even when you get people like companies that are going to um, uh, vie for it, I mean, most of the companies that care about food in, in a grand way don't can't even go for it because the budget is so low that you end yeah. up having to buy all the cheap food. Yeah. And then the children see all the cheap food. They grow up with the cheap food. They say that's worth nothing. It doesn't matter. They can mm-hmm. you can probably actually see it getting thrown in the bin after the fact anyway. So yep. it's uh, it's um, it's uh, it is an issue. And I think it's harder sometimes to change. I mean, it's most important to change when you when you're feeding kids because that's when they're most receptive. And I know for oh, me. For sure. For me growing up, I mean, food wasn't a massive part in our lives. I mean, it was my mum cooked at home. There was six of us. Uh, I mean, but at the same time, like food was, I suppose, a little bit more expensive or at least I felt it was more expensive. But maybe mm-hmm. we just have more disposable income. I mean, what was what what what, for, what, what was food like for you growing up in terms of like uh, where, 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 where you were? Well, I mean, also just before that, I mean, just also remember we live and breathe this so many people just don't give a shit about food it's yeah, just yeah. you know they don't obsess over it like you and i so they just don't care so <laughs> you know it's not that they're against anything or for anything it's just not a focus on their lives whereas for us you know i'm sitting here talking to you with the food channel on silent watching yeah. food being cooked while i'm talking to you about food you know and that's us so we, we live and breathe it but for for a vast majority of, of people they just it's just food they, they, they don't care so it's hard to get people excited or wanting to spend more when they actually, it's just not a priority. It's just about feeding I, I and think, get on with I, it. Then I think it's how do you fold? I mean, if you, if you take the newspaper as an example, I, I always go straight for the food pages. It's like, yeah, I always yeah, go, oh, what's, the, what's the food? And then I go past all the cars and all the second or whatever yeah. else. And it's yeah. like, how do you fold? I suppose even the newspaper dictates that separation, if you know what I mean. I mean, uh-huh. and maybe it's the way in which we set it all up, like in terms of yeah. like, Maybe we should have, I mean, in general, when you think of uh, uh, high profile sports and you eat food in a in a stadium, generally the food mm-hmm. is muck. I mean, most uh, of the time, yeah. it's absolute muck. It's really cheap. It's uh, and, and I'm always like depressed by the fact that you go to a massive stadium, they're feeding 50,000 people and no one decided, no one said, do you know what would be a great idea? What if we try and give them good food? It's like, yeah, no, nah, fuck it. Let's just do hot dogs. 
Yeah, that's what I, I mean. We'll do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we'll do hot dogs, burgers and pizza and then we'll put it yeah. out, we'll, we'll tender it out. But why doesn't anyone say, do you know what would be great here? We'd be great if we had a, a vegan place. And even like even to have that thought, I just think that it seems so remote to, to well, and I hope it will change. I hope that either the conversations we're having or the people that work with us yeah. will go and open food trucks, will end up trying to infiltrate into different markets where, because as you said, there is a demand for, I think, all types of food. And I think that yep. the system works best when we have a, like a diverse, a diversity, because I think any, any system and whether that's entirely meat, entirely plant, entirely fish will eventually fail because it's not diverse enough. Because, because to, to produce a bunch of cows is just as bad as producing a bunch of corn. In the, and I think mm -hmm. the state demonstrates that when they just, mm -hmm. all they grow now is corn. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's, wor it's worth nothing. They subsidize it. Farmers make nothing. And it's just, yep. it, it's not it's not the way to go either. But I, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that when they build these stadiums or communities or whatever it is, they never think of, you know what, let's just, uh, let's try and do something radical. But instead, let's just stick the same supermarket in. Let's stick the same shop. We'll do the chicken rolls. We'll do the sausages. Yeah, we'll do the hot dogs. Yeah, it's really weird. And, it's really and, weird. Yeah, but anyway, no, back to, you know, back to all this food. All this food like for you growing up. I mean, were you, were you obsessed with food back then as well? Or did that kind oh, of come... Always, yeah. Always been obsessed with food. My father's from Andalusia in Spain, and he came over here. I did not know that. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. That's where, the that's, that's where you get your whole, your whole flair, your whole flair from. That's it. That's the sassy side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, when I think about it, my mum's actually the sassy one, so I probably get my, I definitely get my chutzpah from her, that's for sure. But, you know, I my, the food part of me, that passionate part of me definitely is from my father. I would definitely say that. My mum's so from Australia. Cool. He's from that Spain. That's so cool. And when, when yes, did he I come over to, to Australia? Um, uh, I think he was early teens, so wow. late 50s. Okay. Well, I yeah, think he must have um, a shock going from Andalusia. I'm always, I even still, I get shocks when I'm in Spain and then I come back to Ireland because it's just, it's like they are more food obsessed. Do you know, it's always yeah. like, what are we eating for lunch? What are we eating for breakfast? What are we eating for dinner? It's, um, yeah, that's just like me. Yeah, I know, no, like that. When I go there, I go, wow, it's just like, this is crazy. And oh, then you go best. back to Ireland it's... and everything's back to the, the petrol station and getting a roll. Yeah, I know. It's pretty sad, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, and imagine coming from Andalusia to bloody Australia in the 50s. Like, Jesus. You know, when they were boiling lamb chops and cabbage and potatoes in a pot and that was that was it all the time. Like, it would have been pretty pretty insane. And I think it's um, definitely been the influence for me food-wise. My grandmother was an incredible cook and I, I can still just, you know, that taste memory. I can just taste it just thinking about it. The smell of her house just smelled like Hamon and it was just, wow. yeah, just gorgeous. So I definitely got my food they have trouble getting products then? Or, 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 or was that? Uh, oh, yeah, was, back then they would have, for sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I when I was growing up, there was a pretty big Spanish community uh, right near where my restaurant is actually in Fitzroy, and there was this big Spanish club. And I used to go there with my grandfather on the weekends, and we would take the bus from Preston, and uh, you know, he would play chess, and I had my little flamenco dress, and we would hang that out at the Spanish idea. club for a while. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really cute, and there's a really, really there's a really great Spanish deli. It's still there. It's called Casa Iberica. And 
that's where all the Spanish goods came from. And so she definitely did get to have them. But, you know, and you, it's probably the same for you. It's like, you know, your grandparents, can you can get these recipes from them, handed down, whatever. And even though they say they've written it, and they probably have written it down properly, um, you can make it to exactly their method and their ingredients and never taste the same. And I've, I've never been able to figure out whether it's something in the skin, do you know, like just yeah. touching the food, whatever it was, or the fact that she had no money and she probably bought the cheapest, shittest ingredients that were there just because that's what they could afford, you know, on a pension or whatever. And I'm yeah. out there buying yeah. the best of everything because I'm a bougie food bitch, you know, and yeah. I'm buying, the, you know, the great paprika and the great everything. She wouldn't have been able to afford that stuff. So maybe it's just because of that. Who knows? But nothing but ever tastes the same. I think also is that, that you're, the, I think the memory kind of uh, impinges upon it. And when you make it now, it's just not the same because that moment, I think that moment with your grandparents or parents, that moment is gone. And it's just like, I think that's a big part of food that we can't see. That's really true but as when well. You, when, you, when you taste something, you're going, oh, what's the component parts of it? But I think the whole emotional capacity of food sometimes is lost. Because I'm sure, like when my mom cooked fish, like it was fucking awful. It was full of bones. It was flour. It was like I fucking hated <laughs> it. But at the yeah. same time, when I remember it, I go, God, yeah, that was great. You loved it. <laughs> you know? See, and and, and, and the lamb that. stew I... or the shepherd's pie. And there was no, yeah, no, like she wasn't making her own stock or anything like that. But yeah. and, and yet still I go, God, they were great meals. Right. <laughs> and maybe that's and the... that was a, yeah, I think that's a huge, that's a huge part. Now we're talking about this, about why I opened up the deli and uh, Smith and Daughters, because imagine <clears throat> going vegan, yeah. becoming vegan, whatever, um, and you instantly lose that in your family, right? Like, because say you, you're at Christmas and, and most families have a tradition in some way of what they cook, you know, every year. Um, instantly you're, you're separated from, from all of that. And if you're lucky enough, you'll have a family that will try to accommodate you. But if you're like the majority, what ends up happening is now you don't get all the things and you just end up eating roast potato and maybe gravy, but it's probably not vegan. So, you know, you're screwed there. Uh, and instantly your food memories are gone. And, and, and for some people, certain things, you know, will connect you to say your grandmother, like uh, smoked fish or something that she did that was her dish that she that connected you to her. It's, yeah. it's now gone. And that's really sad to me because for me, like you said, and you actually, I've never thought about the way you've said it, but I do think that the reason why her food did taste different is because when I think about the taste and the flavor, it's not just the food, but it's the place, it's the people, it's everything in there. It was sitting on the lino floor at the coffee table, yeah. eating my dinner off that plate. It was all those things. And you're right. That's what made it taste like that for sure. So thank you. Yeah, for the same with my, my brown bread was my granny's one and, and making it. And then like, she never brought bought bread. And like, I don't know if it was the best bread in the world, but it it certainly tasted like that back when I remember it. Uh -huh, and even the bread, uh -huh. the bread we make in the restaurant every day is lovely bread, but it just, it can't, it doesn't hold that. Do you know that? No. Element. Pretty I magical, mean, huh? Yeah, even actually the, the I, I made, when I did the cookbook, uh, I put family recipes in and I put my, uh, my aunt's coffee cake into it. And when mm -hmm. I made it, I was like, this is, <clears> this is shit. Like, this is disappointment because I made it and I was like, I remember eating that thinking this was the best fucking thing in the whole world ever. 
course, sitting there going, there is nothing better than this coffee gig when I was eight or nine. And I made it and I was like, well, what did I think? What was I thinking? Like, this can't I, go in the book. <laughs> I was thinking, but at the same time, I was like, what happened? I was like, it's the same. It was in her handwriting. It was her recipe. Yeah. Way she made it. And I, yeah, maybe, maybe I just, I, I, I became too affected in relation to food and too poncy and was like, well, you know. This. I think we might have, you know. I mean, and she was probably <laughs> using like Maxwell House or something. She was not using like some fancy espresso or some single estate. No way. Yeah, she, no, she, that's what I mean. They were using the cheapest thing that was on sale. Yeah, exactly. You know, whatever they could get in bulk that was cheap. That's what they bought. And, you know, here's us going and buying the special single origin fucking whatever. Um, and that's probably half the problem is that we're being very picky and buying the best of the best because that's what we're like because that's who we are, uh, you know. Um, so, yeah, you're probably right. It gets lost in that. But so, so when I opened the deli, I put a call out onto our Instagram page and I asked my customers, what are the things that you've been missing? What are the things that connected you to your family that you haven't been able to eat in years? And the dishes just came flooding through. And I'm talking like... Like, this was not fancy food at all. This is home-cooked, super basic, you know, tuna yeah. casseroles, this sort of shit, you know. Um, that was what everyone was craving because these are the things that they can't have anymore. And some for people, it was like 20, 30 years they've gone without these flavors. And one of the most amazing things that has come for me out of doing what I do with vegan food is I, I have watched people eat things and cry. Wow. From having their memory, you know, brought back to them. And it's so special to be able to give that gift to someone of reconnecting those food memories for them. Uh, and and that's one of the most powerful things for me and why I love what I do. I mean, there's so many reasons why I like doing what I do, but that's one that really gets me is being able to provide that for people. Yeah, I just actually, I just remember that it's completely aside and not related that I just, uh, your flamenco, you in a flamenco dress, I just recalled because you mentioned Instagram there. I remember you posted yep. that recently. That I, was I like, did. And I did not click. It didn't click with me that other time. <laughs> I suppose because Australia is so diverse that you always, like I've met so many Australians who have Greek or Italian heritage, but that yeah. their families were not, I suppose, directly connected. So I did not connect that your your father was directly uh, from uh, uh, from from Andalusia, and it's still, yeah, yeah, it's it's a great it's a great part of um, part of Spain. Uh, hot, really hot. I remember we. Yeah. Were, I think it was actually the hottest place I've ever been because I think it was nearly fifty degrees Celsius. Um, Have you not and, been here? Yeah, and uh, but it's still. I think yeah, it's it's the. Do you know what it might be? It's the it's the pace of life. You know what I mean? Everything is oh. just nothing goes too that's fast. That's where I want to go to die. Yeah, you know, that's I actually, where I want to end my life. Just nothing's going too fast. You get up. Mm. You might have a coffee, bit of food. You just have potter that. around. <laughs> yeah, that's how and I want to end my the day. The industrious people are there somewhere hiding there. Um, but I, I think what I, what I what I what I what I love about your 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 food and and that is, but I, I think it's also your, your the image that you have of of uh, or that you've. I suppose I would I would say curated, but that whatever way you put together your mm. your 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 yourself, I think what what it makes it makes veganism look really cool and sexy. And, <laughs> No, but I think that's it's really good. important because for me, it is important. The Harry Christian restaurants and the, yeah. I worked in Henderson's, which is in, in Scotland, which was a, a similar, a similar one that's been there since the sixties. And 
like that kind of drab kind of like oh you know and, and I think I think to 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 ha- to make a good fight and to to fight the good fight you have to bring everything with you and and when you that's it you're gonna break whatever the mindset. videos are and it's almost like you forget because like, it isn't about what you're missing it's just about what you're eating you know and that's it's like, it it's food it's just food. If that experience eating is is memorable and go wow that's great then it it it's it's irrelevant what 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 you're eating it's not about oh you're going to it going okay I'm not going to have this or that you're just going yeah. in and you're eating and it's a it's it's that is that experience that's it that's why the line you know food that happens to be vegan food first you know it's just food this is food and you know and and, and if makes I'm trying to do it so people just don't think about the fact that it's vegan while they're eating it you know and my target audience I have a lot of vegans that um I get very upset with the fact that I'm not vegan myself but you know I I've created this I didn't, I, I didn't want to I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to upset any if there was vegans listening going oh my god she's not a vegan but I think that's yeah. really cool I think it's really really grace because that shows that you can you can adapt you can you can make it your life and and at the yep. same time still understand like where 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 its place is and its role is and mm-hmm. like because mm-hmm. it's essentially at the end of the day it's food and it's feeding people yep. it's creating memories and if you if you are if your restaurant is open long enough you could have three generations of people go to it and then all of a sudden their 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 memories from their parents and that will will there won't be this loss That's around it. I was a child at Christmas time eating Brussels sprouts and potatoes and everyone's yeah. going turkey, <laughs> can you? Um, that's it. <laughs> and, and, and so that's what we need to, well, I think what we need to, um, uh, what, 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 what we need to do. Yeah, agreed. Agreed totally. And uh, I, I just, yeah, it, it's been, it's been a weird one just battling the people that do have an issue with it. But, you know, Smith and Daughters and, and what I do, vegans are already vegans. You know, I'm pe- preaching to the choir when it comes to vegans. Yeah. Yeah. My, my goal is to introduce this way of eating to people who aren't vegan, you know, because I want to show those meat eaters who are still sceptical about veganism, still thinking about it the way it used to be back in the 90s, 80s, 70s, whatever. Um, I want to introduce that to them so that the people have thought that, that they couldn't possibly not you know, eat a meal without meat in it or dairy in it, prove them wrong, you know, and then have that influence on their diets because we all know that we can't keep eating these insane amounts of, of meat. We just can't keep, yeah. we can't do it, you know, and we need to reduce. So I'm really trying to introduce people to this way of eating, which is reducing that intake. You don't have to give it up. I'm not asking anyone to give it up. But what I am asking people to do is think about it, first of all, think about what you're eating, stop just eating trash. Um, and maybe instead of eating meat every day, cheap meat, cut it back to, you know, a couple times a week and just focus now maybe on, bringing in more plant-based diets, you know, like a plant-based diet. Um, and then you really appreciate it more when you do eat meat, you know. Uh, and, and if if I can have that impact on as many people as possible, that's huge. To, to impact a meat eater's diet and help them reduce it. If I could in, reduce a meat eater's diet, you know, by 50%, that is a huge difference on a global scale when you're talking about if we can reduce how much meat people are eating. That's massive. So that's my goal is to really introduce those people to this way of eating. So that's that's uh, that's quite a small goal. It's manageable. <laughs> it's manageable. Yeah, it's, it's manageable. That's, it's worth like, it so far, mate. <laughs> if, if you add it in, and I just want to take over the world at the same time, I was going, I was going, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's I'll do that. <laughs> uh, I'm trying, I think, babe. I'm trying. I definitely think, look. I I feel exactly the same around 
shellfish and seaweed and all these things that <clears throat> and I'm the same when people people imagine they go when you go home do you eat like just lobsters and seaweed and they go no I eat like pasta and like I suppose people imagine the way that you are in your restaurants and what you promote as food it's how and, you are and yeah and they go God, there must be like no cereal in your house and they go and oh, my daughter eats cocoa pops I'm, I'm normal um, <laughs> and it's, it doesn't mean that I'm feeding her seaweed going this is all you're allowed to eat but I think the difference is that yeah it's 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 like this is I suppose what we're passionate about and it's not about dropping everything else it's about just I suppose trying to appreciate other elements of the of the food of the food world that's right yeah. exactly yeah. So you know it's uh, it, it's working and it's exciting and it's exciting to watch this huge shift. You know, and, it, and like I said, it's happening real fast. And and yeah, I'm def- keep I, think, at I it. think you definitely owe, have you have you thought? I know it's very far away, but you definitely owe, you get you get somewhere in Dublin or London. I think you you definitely do well there. So there's definitely a market. I'd love to. I'd Talk love over, to do it. Smith and daughters, just drop. Do you know where you could do it? Dublin Airport that needs a serious kick. And you know, I think every airport needs a serious kick. Yeah, but that's ex- I mean, those places I mentioned stadiums, but if we could just tur- tur- turn the airports into mm-hmm. food, real serious food halls and not like kind of what I mean by greenwashing, where you just put up a load of wood and then people go, Oh, this is cool, it's all rough. The food is exactly the same, you know. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's like, how do we? change because every single airport now is turning into Starbucks, uh, whatever else, yep. McDonald's, and yep. it's McDonald's, a yeah. And I really think that individual cities should should take back the airports and go, okay, mm-hmm. what's the best food if you say, okay, Melbourne Airport, then you say, what's the best food in Melbourne? Because it should be a window. Like it should be a window where you're going into the city. Totally, as it should be your to best of your greatest hits list. Another generic offering in a, in an international airport. Yeah, I know. I know the only thing you can do is see what the country's specialty McDonald's burger is. Yeah. Each time you go, someone <laughs> said to me recently that they like traveling around, uh, tasting McDonald's chips and and seeing how they differ in different countries. And they, <laughs> they weren't they weren't even into. They were like, you know, I don't really like McDonald's per se, but I find it really interesting to taste how different they are. And I just every time I go to a country, I have one McDonald's. You just, have and to I was get like, it. That's like that's a that's like a sociological experiment. <laughs> But come here. The, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is is, is your, your your battle with with cancer, and uh, yeah. because for me, like I I don't know if you, if I ever told you or that, but my my daughter was born with cancer. And, oh uh, Jesus Christ! I did not know uh, that. Yeah, and she spent the first. She's twelve now, which is great. But she spent like the first year of her life on chemo and uh, operations, and, and how all is that even possible? Yeah, it was like one in three babies in 50 years had this thing that she had. It was on the bottom of her spine and they, they had so little information and they were saying like, oh, look, we'll do an operation. It might be in her brain. It might be in her legs. But every every time they did something, it was like, okay, it's not in her legs. It's not in her brain. Okay, okay, we're going to take oh. it out. We took it out. And they were like, we're going to give her chemo. We're worried about if we give her chemo, chemo might kill her because she's like, yeah, zero. she's zero. And yeah, look, we were fortunate along the way um, over those nine months. And I actually felt guilty when I was in the hospital with the kids hospital because there was so many kids up there that were sicker that when you were up there I was almost apologetic going I'm really sorry but yes yeah, she's uh, she's having key preventative chemo whereas whereas other kids were just like completely flattened with it and but yeah. it was, the difference when, when you have 
when you when you go out into into the real world, if we can call it that, then it's a mm-hmm. major thing. But when you go into hospital, everyone has it. Everyone is the same, and yeah. and, and and is trying to just dist- trying to I suppose relate that and trying to talk about it because without actually when you talk to someone they go oh how's your child i'm really sorry but when you go up there it's like oh you, i was the one apologizing saying oh no she's they took out the tumor it's not it's not in her brain it's not in her leg she's not, yeah it's not that bad so, it's not that bad yeah and i, I actually it was like it's, i think I, I suppose it's like survivor's guilt or something it was like I'm, and even the kid that heather shared a room with i didn't realize at the time but she actually didn't make it i didn't realize this till years later but mm-hmm. um but it was like, yeah, it's it's traumatic, but at the same time, mm-hmm. like it's 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 there. But I suppose how how was how was it for you? Like going was was it was it pre COVID or did it kind of bleed into COVID a bit? Oh, it was all through COVID. Oh wow! So I was actually just looking. Uh, one thing I'm terrible at is remembering important dates. Like I don't even remember when I got married. <laughs> I'm no longer now. I got divorced like a year after I got married. It's like. 2006 I got married but I couldn't even tell you what day it was I got married like I'm so bad at remembering important dates um so I looked on my I looked at my phone actually today to check to see when I started chemo and it was 30th of July last year is when I started so I was I was in lockdown the whole time during treatment and I live alone so it was really tricky because you know I live alone uh so I was uh, diagnosed in beginning of July last year. So this time last year, I was diagnosed and started treatment at the end of July. Uh, triple negative breast cancer. So that's a, a tricky one. Um, and so I had 24 rounds of chemotherapy wow. and 20 wow. rounds of radiation and surgery as well. Um, <clears throat> I did immunotherapy. That must have flattened you. I mean, that, I, don't, I don't mean that lightly, but that must have absolutely flattened you. Yeah, like it, it was inter- rough. Yeah, yeah. Real I rough, think. you know. Um, and I was on a trial uh, for immunotherapy and the trial was amazing and it worked really well and it reduced the tumour to nothing, basically, which meant I didn't have to have a mastectomy in the end, which was great. So I just ended up having to have a lumpectomy, which was far less traumatic on the body, obviously. But what it did was completely destroy the gland that produces cortisol, which is such an important thing for just your body to run. It's your fight or flight. It controls your stress levels. Um, so it's the hormone that, you know, just basically controls your body. And yeah. my body yeah. no longer produces that on its own ever for, forever. So I'm now on medication that what's well, cortisol replacement, basically. So that's not the best when you do a job like ours. No. That is very stressful and very demanding on your body. And I am... Uh, very high energy, go at 200% all the time anyway. So that was really rough. And we didn't figure out for a while that that had happened. So I knew that I was supposed to be tired and sick and all that, but it was like next level tired and next level. Like I just couldn't, I just couldn't do anything. I couldn't even lift my arms to text people back. You know, I was so tired and exhausted. And then we realized it was because I wasn't producing this and it can make your body go into shock if you don't have this. So it was pretty drastic, but so yeah, going through COVID during that, trying to keep my restaurants and my staff in jobs and my restaurants alive whilst going through this treatment on my own at home was pretty brutal. Um, I had to get carer's notes for all my friends so they could travel outside of their five kilometer zone so they could take me to hospital to get chemotherapy. 
um, because I wasn't able to drive, obviously. so it's been pretty full on, and last and uh, this Wednesday just been. I found out it was my six month, my first scans, and it's gone. It's clear. Cool. So that is hugely exciting. So we're past the worst of it, you know. Obviously, and you know we've got those update scans. I'm sure you've been through all this shit as well. So I think it's about two years worth of scans until I think I'm properly like in remission. But yeah. first round, we're looking sweet, all good. I'm feeling much more myself. I still have totally off days and they said that apparently basically you can count on the amount of time you're in treatment was about how long it's going to take you to start feeling like yourself again. So you're looking at a year, is it? About a year. But mate, I feel like compared to what I felt like six months ago, I feel like a hundred percent compared to that, you know? So I presume you, yeah, because I know it, I mean, Heather was tiny, but just like your relationship with food, it was just completely uh, altered. Was it just that you couldn't eat? Oh, I mean, well, we had to, we, I, I mean, couldn't we, taste Heather, anything. Yeah. Heather was tiny. We just fed Heather through a tube and this, this, uh, she had a Hickman line, but it was just kept falling out and then it would get infected and then they bring her in. And I think at one stage, Drigging, uh, I spent 28 days, like pretty much solitary confinement with Heather. And it was just, I, I, I honestly, I think it was harder. It was just as hard for her than, than it, like, I mean, uh, I was just working. We had just opened Cava at this point. So uh, I, I felt like a, like a spare prick sometimes just go to work and just, that was all I could do. Yeah, fuck. That's, that's but, so rough. It's sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Look, it's. Uh, look, it's. I suppose it's a reality, mm-hmm. and it, it's. It's so many people. Yeah, you realize that. Um, uh, go through it, and I suppose many mm-hmm. people now don't talk about it, or I mean, because it's not really. I'm not the kind of person that would like. It's the first thing you just bring up, like you know. And no, uh, of I, course not. I, I, but at the same time, I think it's. It, it is such a difficult thing to go through. Um, and I think at the same time, particularly when you're involved in food and that mm-hmm. at that level, you know, and, 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 and working in that, I just, I, I remember just seeing your post thinking, God, God that must be it. just uh, so, so, cause it just wipes you out. It's just like. Yeah, it does. But you know, it's, um, I'm glad I had my businesses because it made me do stuff. Uh, you know, I, I had I had to keep going. I couldn't just lay down, you know, and just give up. Um, but it was interesting because the so, so the way the therapy actually went was I had the twenty rounds of twenty rounds of chemo. Was it like one a week? Was it one a week or was it was one a it, week? Yeah, one a week. Jesus, that's that's. I think Heather was it's, maybe it's because she was so small. Now she might have been she might have been one a month. But even at that, like I couldn't imagine what, like one a week was what would just like you, you'd barely be over one and you'd be on the way back in for another. Oh yeah, I mean they don't normally do that, uh, but I think because I was in I'm, I was pretty in pretty good shape to begin with. Uh, my age is on my side, all those sorts of things, and you know I'm just a hard bitch, mate. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can I can deal with it. So no, that's bullshit. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm. Anyway, anyway, I think they just realised they could push me, you know, and I was willing to sort of go for it, and I and I just wanted to get it done. So, uh, but then, so I did the twenty rounds and I did surgery, and then after they did the surgery, they did find some some nasty shit still, just a little bit lying mm. around. So they gave me four more rounds of the stuff that they call the Red Devil. Talk. Which is, yeah, I know, did, right? Did they uh, call it Red Devil? That's what they call it. I don't know who called it that, but that's what everyone calls it, including the doctors. Jesus. Uh, and it's red. It's blood red, the stuff oh that's God. going into you. So it just looks like hell, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And, 
And the first lot of chemo I got, um, I could still taste things. My, my, my sense of taste definitely had changed, but I could still taste things. But this last lot destroyed me, completely destroyed me to the fact, to the point where my tongue actually lost texture and it was like completely smooth and shiny. Oh. So my taste buds had just disappeared. So I couldn't taste anything. Like literally could not taste, I couldn't taste coffee. I couldn't taste anything. So and, and and did you did you like did you go off food or did you just keep trying to put some food in your system? I or? was I was off it. I was just so off it because I mean once you can't taste it, like, what is the point? I have a and friend who has no. I have a friend who has no. Uh, who can't taste food, and I always wondered, like, what it was like. And he he would just live on on stuff about tech. He would live on white bread and sandwich spread. This is years ago because that was the texture he liked. And he would oh, never God. understand why he'd even bother going for food. He was just like, why would you even? It's like he could not smell or taste anything. Ah, oh, like, shit. In hell. <clears throat> I, well, it was pretty hellish, you know. I mean, I still kick, I kept cooking. Um, I actually had to write a menu because because I, I was brought on to open the Overlow Hotels. Uh, so the Overlow Hotel chat group, mm. uh, they pledged to go completely plant-based last year. The whole group. So Hong Kong, Bali, Australia. Yes, they got hotels all over the world. They went plant-based and they asked me to open the one in Melbourne and to write the menu and to do all the creative side of that. So I was offered the job before I was diagnosed and then I told them that what had happened and at that point I could still taste stuff. But I had to write a menu without any fucking taste buds. Wow. Uh, so as you can imagine, that was terrifying. And you know that there's certain muscle memory in cooking. You know that when you yeah. need to season something, you grab salt and you just put it on, you know that's the right amount. But yeah. the amount of doubt that starts flooding in about what you're doing um, is huge. So I, used to, I was getting my head chef and, you know, my, my, my chefs, my pastry chefs from the deli and stuff to come over and taste the food and tell me if I was okay. Like, where mm. am I going wrong? Do I need to fix something? And as much as I 100% have faith and trust and love my staff, are they, are they 100% saying what I would think? Like, who knows? Yeah. Like they're telling me it tastes great or they're telling me it needs more of this or it needs less of that. But is that what I would think if I could taste still? Like who, who knows? So that was a really, really hard time. And then trying to train staff that I've never met before to cook things. And then they'll ask me something like, is it supposed to be this sour? And I'm like, ah. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> but it turned out real good. Oh no, but that's like cooking blind. It's just like yeah, uh, yeah, man. It was crazy. But I do think I do agree with you. I do think even even if I made something and didn't taste it at all, I think it's that kind of like riding a bike now that you've yeah. done it so many times you know. that I, you, you know. nearly know from 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 the from the because there's a particular the type process? of salt salt I use and I actually find it really difficult to use any of the salt because of the size of the grains and the texture that's it I, I and, can't use fine salt on things you know like because I can't yeah. I can't judge properly but and that's what uh, I mean if I have to go and use someone else's salt I'm like fucked I'm going like how much what's the how salty uh -huh. is this salt and they're like what are you yeah <laughs> Uh, because I just know, yeah, how much uh, something 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 needs. But uh, yeah, and you know the process in a dish. You know that a sear, like a hard sear, is going to develop this flavor, and that's going to develop this flavor, and and so you know in your mind what's going to taste like. But 
it's definitely it definitely makes you question some shit that's for sure and when you're trying to impress this huge company um and you want to make sure you nail it for them because they're putting your fat their faith in you um it's 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 pretty scary but it worked out really well and everyone's really happy um and thank god what's the name of the hotel again uh, so it's Overlow. Overlow is the hotel group, uh, and the restaurant that I um, did with them is called Lona Mesa. So they uh, opened in. South I Dallas, see that on so. your. I see that on your. Um, I didn't realize the Lona Mesa was actually in the in the hotel. Oh, in the hotel, that's yeah, cool. that's in the hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, there's no way I've got enough money to make my joint look that pretty. Uh, <laughs> that's always yeah. The the, way they, the hotels are just like endless money. But, no. Oh, it's so beautiful. The kitchen's amazing. We've got a bloody Josper in a vegan kitchen. Can you believe it? Wow. Yeah. And, wow. And we're, 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 near, we're near the end, just in case you're 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 failing. Uh, um, but I just what 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 do you think is the what's the future for for Shannon Martinez? And then the, what what do you want to do next? Or do you want to, I suppose, regroup? Or I know you want to take over nah. the world, make and make everyone. Yeah, I want to take over the world, mate. I don't need time. <laughs> I just had a year to regroup. <laughs> uh, um, I've had enough time to sit down and think about what I want to do. I. I want to. I want to expand. I want to get out of Australia. I want to take my food out there. I want to introduce it to more people. Uh, you know, I've just got to figure out how to do that because. Well, uh, do you ever I, want to do a vegan restaurant in Ireland? I, I I'll go halves. Uh, put it. All that right, way. deal, deal. Okay. Well, I don't know what, how to do it, now, where where it'll be. Who cares? We just uh, we'll work all that out after. Um, okay. I do think <laughs> that it's it's a. Uh, like for it's one of those I think central uh, like central issues I think it's and it's not like it's not that I I wish I had a different name you know like it's not that I yeah. dislike the word vegan but it just conjures so much for it's me it conjures, so, it conjures so much conflict you know the minute yeah, you it say does. it it does it's just like you want to just have a dish and it's like it's a dish with vegetables or whatever that's it, it. It's 100%. Like, because even even when we have to write it on the menu now, V denotes vegetarian. So if you want to say vegan, you have to write the word vegan. Write the word, and then yep. it's on, and the whole menu. Then the, the things that jump out of you are like, oh, why do we have to? Okay, is there not a symbol or something I can use? But totally. Uh, and people that might not want to eat vegan food, they'll they'll skip past it. So that's what I mean. They look like, and go, oh, yeah. that's for, that's for the vegan person. Um, yeah, so that, I won't get that one then. I better get the other thing instead. Like it's stupid. It's really stupid. We have so got, yeah, I agree with you. We have done plenty of weddings uh, over the years and we've made the mistake of putting out vegetarian or vegan dish and it has been eaten by the meat eaters unconsciously. And then uh, and the vegetarian or vegan comes along and says, uh, I, I'm Mary, I'm, I'm the vegetarian. And I go, oh, I thought you got yours. Oops. Uh, oh, shit. I don't know how many. That's I don't know how many times that happened. That we so we had to hold it back because the all the other guys were going. Oh, that's great! It's a salad, <laughs> or that's great. It's yeah, vegetable. something night for once. Yeah, just throw <laughs> it onto the throw it on the top of mine there. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, but listen, yeah, that's it, what I want to do. I want to get it out there. You know, I really I want to get it to. St- I've, I've always wanted to open a joint over in the states. I I lived there on and off for a long time, so I want to get it over there. I want to get you know over to the UK. Definitely. I want lots of shit, you know. I know. Coming, you got to go into the, into the airport in that. What I I think it's it's a uh, Tito that actually has some good food offerings. Um, you want it? You want to go in there and uh, take over, sit in beside Heston or or Gordon Ramsay or something, one of those chaps, and uh, yeah, uh, and yeah, because I, I think that's what we, I, I definitely think that's what we need to do. And it's all it's it's always in the back of my mind saying. Like we're, it, nothing's going to change unless until we change those places. Until you change, mm-hmm. 
where there are a million people going through. Um, I'm always surprised that I'm sure it's the same in 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 very famous Australian places like I mean, our our tourist places. Like sometimes the wor- it's the worst food, and they have like 1.4 million people. Like uh, they don't even need to worry about customers. Do you know what I mean? Like they're yeah, going to exactly. get that many people, and yet at the same time, it's no one ever thought of could do nice food here, as opposed to yeah. fucking ham and cheese sandwiches on uh, yeah. on on industrial bread. Uh, it's like, you know, when I think about um, when I was over with you for Food on the Edge and I think one of the flavours that stands out for me is when you took us um, to where all the oysters were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Just, it's, I've uh, just never tasted anything like it. In Castle, yeah. It's actually, it's a really beautiful place. Uh, wow. And that's actually... I think a, about it. You'd be surprised how many people that I talked to who came over... That in that place or in and around that place, and I don't know what it is about Connemara, where is you've got that wilderness that just yeah, it's it is, it's a beautiful place, you know. And I, it I is even think stunning. I appreciate it more when you when you say that to me. I think I just I, it's really hard sometimes to appreciate something that is literally forty minutes down the road from of me. Of course, you know? of course. And, and, because when you drive through it, you're on a mission to go to A to B. And it's not like mm-hmm. when I bring you guys over, we're, we're going through and we're looking at everything. And you're with fresh eyes going, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's yep. amazing. And I think yep. that's, I think we need a bit more of that. And that's, I think that's why it's, it's, you, you gotta, you gotta go to places that you don't know. And then you realize, yeah, this, these, these are, these are beautiful places. Yeah, but you got to make friends with people like you, you know, so you can take us to all those. Good I always think that, like, as, as my daughter always says, "Daddy, you got to go. You, so you got to go cook in New York because we need to go there." We need to make friends. You got to make friends in New York. Got to make friends, and I was like, "Yeah," because we don't have the money to fly there. She's like, "Just make some friends and just go cook." And I was like, "I'm yeah, exactly. I'll invite you over. Don't worry, Dad." Yeah, she's oh, they're they're gas. They just have no concept of money or anything. They're just like, "Do it. Just do it." Like, what's the yeah, problem? Just, yeah, just do it. Well, just do it then. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be afraid to show your luck to my nine-year-old or 12-year-old because then they were, the 12-year-old, is she'd be like, she's cool, I'm going to dress like her. And I'd be like, this. she'd be like, that I need to dress like Shannon, it. you need to buy this for me. She's already <laughs> downstairs with the eyeliner on for the very first time and the mini skirt. And she's 12 and she's... Uh, so yeah, she's uh, she's got attitude. So um, she she she'll Maybe do I fine. Maybe I can send her my hand me downs. Oh, listen, I'd say she like she she definitely. Oh my god, she's 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 on the way to becoming. She's in. She's entering her rebellious phase. Um, oh, look out, mate! Yeah, look yeah, out. yeah. Oh, I know, I know. And uh, she's, uh, well, you know, pass my number. If she ever becomes too much, I can have a little chat to her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can like yeah, Shannon can deal with you. She can chat. Oh to you. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And everything everything is all or nothing. It's just like. You're such a liar. Yeah, hey, that's how I am. If I make another one mistake, she's like, you're always lying to me. And I was like, I think it was one thing. It's like, how can I... Oh, I love her already. Oh, stop it. Anyway, listen, look, it's been great talking to you. And uh, and I hope we will see each other soon. Whether you're in Ireland or I'm in Australia, I don't really care. I, I could do. Mate, could do I'm gagging to fly. Tell you, we, we could do with either. And uh, all I can say is, if uh, I wish you the best with uh, with your endeavours to 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 make uh, plant food more uh, more more uh, to make it sexier, make it a uh, rebellious, and you know that's. I think it's just the ideas behind it, and you change that, and then you'll get a. You'll get all those uh, all those individuals who think they need pork and steak all the time. Damn straight.
Okay, mate. Listen, I'll talk to you soon. I will sign All off. Right. And uh, Thank I need to you. listen. To, uh, I, I'm sure we'll be interacting somewhere along the along the line on Instagram soon. You know it. I'll talk All to right. you later, bud. Take care, mate. Bye. Have a good day. Have a good day. Have a good night, rather. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, it's bloody bedtime. Bye bye. See you later, Bye. Shannon. Bye bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Food in the Edge podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts as it will help us connect with more people like you. We release our podcasts fortnightly, usually at the beginning of the month and midway through the month. Our podcast focuses on food and its importance in our society. Each fortnight, we talk to different speakers from around the globe on different food issues that are affecting them. If you're interested in these issues, please subscribe and tell your friends. If you have any comments on the subject of the podcast we were discussing today, please share your ideas with us. You can do so on Twitter and it's at Food on the Edge or on Instagram, which is the same. Or you can also leave a comment on Facebook. Our hashtags are Join the Conversation and FOTE 2021. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the different food issues that we're discussing each fortnight. Is there a particular issue you want us to talk about? Just get in touch. So let's continue the conversation on Twitter and you can find us at Food on the Edge. If you'd like to be in with a chance to win a copy of my cookbook, The Irish Cookbook, share a screenshot of this podcast on your Instagram stories and tag at Food on the Edge.